Hey there, I'm Caitlin Daly, and you're listening to Listen Up, a podcast series that shows you how to get more out of the music you love. Imagine this, you're in your living room, sitting in front of your TV, and a helicopter lands in your front yard. Suddenly, agents and suits come running through the front door. You're stunned, but listen as they begin to explain to you the situation. You're needed to give a talk in front of the U.S. Congress because you're the top expert in your field. You have no idea what to prepare for your speech, but the helicopter is here to take you directly to Washington, D.C. Your years of research and work should be enough to get you through it. How would you react to this? Some people would say, great, I know my stuff, and I can think in the moment. Other people, including yours truly, would be nauseous at the thought of having to improvise something on the spot, no matter how well we know our content. In music, the idea of making things up on the spot instead of having them written down is called improvisation. I think jazz music might be the genre that people think of the most when they hear the word improvisation. Ella Fitzgerald, the singer in that example that we just heard, might be one of the most well-known vocal improvisers in the jazz genre. She's performing scat, where singers use made-up syllables and words while singing a melody over a set group of chord changes. There's an old myth that scat was started by jazz singer and trumpeter Louis Armstrong when a strong gust of wind blew in through a window knocked over his sheet music, and he kept singing even though he had no words. Listen to his fun style of scatting. It's not just jazz singers that make up things on the spot. Jazz instrumentalists also join in the improvising fun. In fact, improvisation is one of the main tenets of jazz. Music historians trace the idea back through the blues and into the call and responses of the field songs from American slavery. Since I'm terrified of improvising, I knew I needed to call in an expert for this episode. I decided to call my friend Kyle Saunier, who's both a jazz composer and a jazz musician, to talk to him about how he approaches improvisation. Well, for everyone out there, tell us who you are and what you do. Right, my name is uh, Kyle Saunier, and I am a professional composer and performing musician. I play uh, primarily baritone saxophone and also acoustic, uh, acoustic and electric bass. I teach music at uh, Quinnipiac University in Hamden, Connecticut. Um, pretty active on the New York City scene, a little bit on the Boston scene in Connecticut as well. And I actually live uh, in Burlington, Vermont, um, up there, so I do a lot of driving. So what goes through your mind when you're improvising? Well, I think it's, it's um, I'm, making, I'm making decisions on a lot of things in the moment, making kind of intuitive decisions about here's where I am, here's where I'm trying to get. So um, let's say in some maybe jazz context, maybe it doesn't even matter really the context. Let's say um, let's say I'm on this note and I want to get up to this note. That's a certain interval. There's a bunch of notes in between. It doesn't necessarily even matter like what the specific notes are or, or what the interval is or whatever. Um, but I, there's a number of ways that I can get from this note up to this note. 
I can go based on scales that I know. I can play a number of different... I can play that as a scale. I can play a different scale. I just missed. There we go. That one. Let's pretend. Let's pretend I ended there. Or I can I can go in sort of an angular way. I can go above it and then sink back down. There's there's a number of ways to get from point A to point B. I can take the most direct route. I can take the scenic route. I can take a route that is not even note based. It's just gestural. I can go. You know, and that's that's just another thing. There's no particular like skill. Nobody's gonna be like, oh, look at that crazy way he did it. No, I'm just But in that moment, maybe that is a means of of uh, achieving an expression that I couldn't get if I singled out specific notes, right? Um, so so those pathways are all unique. And I may have practiced on my own all those different pathways of getting from point A to point B. But the choice I make about exactly how I get there and which pathway I choose, that's what happens in the moment. And it starts out, an early improviser is gonna be thinking about all these notes. Well, I could go up, you know, or let's, let's go with that. That's a minor scale. Great, big deal. It's a minor scale. But, but as an earlier improviser, uh, way, way long ago in my career, I would be thinking, okay, go up the minor scale or go up the major scale or go up and come down by a half-step approach, you know, and all these things that, that when you're learning to improvise, you're taught, like half-step approaches and scales and arpeggios and all of this stuff. Whereas now, uh, what makes me an experienced improviser is that that's actually an intuitive process. I'm thinking point A, point B, and the actual choice that I'm making is at the subconscious level, and my conscious decisions now can be devoted towards um, sort of a more macro level of thinking so all these all these decisions uh kind of being relegated down to the subconscious level that's kind of what allows me to focus on the bigger picture as an improviser and that's that's the growth of an improviser so how did you start improvising and would you have any advice for um, any students out there that are starting it off themselves i think a lot of students when they start out uh improvising obviously they you usually get the the deer in the headlights look and their their uh, abject terror um coming back at you from their eyes and and I don't know what they expect in those moments that like, no, not till I'm ready. Like you're never ready. You have to do it. Just do it. Like just do it. I will, I will, you know, and, and what I like to do with students that are starting is, is I'll narrow the parameters. I'll say, use these notes in this way. Think about it like this. Just, just do something where I handle all of the sort of macro decisions and all they're doing is making micro decisions and you just have to j dive in yeah. and do it. So the, the way to practice improvising is to improvise. And usually with a plan of starting with a very narrow set of parameters and then expanding out. Another genre that has both African roots and improvisation is hip-hop, specifically rap music. Many hip-hop scholars attribute rap to the Caribbean notion of toasting, where DJs would speak to their audiences and tell them to have a good time during the party that they were hosting. Eventually, this turned into emceeing in the South Bronx, which then turned into rap as we know it today. Rappers mostly freestyle in what are known as battles, when two or more face off against one another in front of a crowd to demonstrate their ability to improvise words on the spot. The idea is to embarrass your competitor by either outsmarting them with your ability to cleverly construct rhyming statements or by discovering something in his or her past that you can reveal in the competition. 
The audience can turn against either competitor at the drop of a dime. Listen to Eminem's character, B. Rabbit, in the movie 8 Mile, helping the audience realize that his competitor isn't from the streets, but rather a student who attends a local prep school and comes from a suburban background. But I know something about you. You went to Cranbrook. That's a private school. What's the matter, dog? You in Paris? This guy's a gangster. His real name is Clarence. And Clarence gives a home to both parents. And Clarence's parents have a real good marriage. This guy don't want to battle. He's shook. But you don't necessarily need two people to show your skills. Any rapper can show off their skills solo by freestyling some lines of text. There was a clip that went viral a few years ago of Hamilton writer Lin-Manuel Miranda's freestyling at the White House, where President Obama held up poster board with random words on them, such as POTUS and Obamacare, that Miranda had to work into his delivery. Take a listen to a few lines here. Immigrants, we get the job done. This is so fun. POTUS is holding up the signs. I'm not done. It's the Oval Office. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm there. It's so much more intimidating than if it was square. Opportunity knocks and I can't stop. I'm here with the president and my pops. And yo, the mic drops. The last leg of our journey through the art of improvisation brings us to the Baroque period of music history, which took place between roughly 1600 and 1750. How did we end up here? Don't classical musicians always need written sheet music on their stands? Welp, believe it or not, vocal and instrumental musicians in this era loved to improvise. For example, Baroque opera composers would write very basic lines of music to start, and then singers would add their own improvisations to the original music. In a very popular opera at the time, Claudio Monteverdi's Orfeo and Eurydice, the two main characters fall in love, but Eurydice dies from a snake bite. Orfeo descends into the underworld to find her and bring her back. In the scene that we're about to hear, Orfeo is trying to steal a boat to cross the mythical river Styx to the underworld. He sings a song called Posente Spirito, which translates to Mighty Spirit, to lull the boat owner to sleep so that he can steal it. Take a listen to the simple way that Monteverdi wrote out the opening lines of the song. Take a listen to how most people sang it. the voice wavers, flicks, and pulses between the notes, that's supposed to convey more emotion. By the end of the Baroque era, opera singers had grown in leaps and bounds in terms of technicality and wanted to show off their skills. So composers wrote pieces called da capo arias, which follow an ABA form. That means that there was an opening section, then a second contrasting section, and then the opening music would come back again. When singers repeated the first section, they would change their musical line to be more decorative and really show off their skills. Take a listen to Cecilia Bartoli sing a piece called Da Tempeste, 
from Handel's opera, Giulio Cesare. Cleopatra sings about how excited she is that Julius Caesar isn't dead and that he's rescued her. Listen to this first part of the aria and listen specifically for those longer notes in the middle of the faster ones. listen to when this section repeats. Remember those longer notes? They're not there anymore. Instead, Bartoli has chosen to show off her voice and has rewritten the line to faster notes. So there you have it, a musical thread that ties Ella Fitzgerald to Lin-Manuel Miranda to Handel. Now let's hear Kyle play us out with a little improvising on his bass. Listen Up is hosted by me, Caitlin Daly. Our research assistant is Marissa Moore. Listen Up is produced by the New Haven Symphony Orchestra in partnership with the School of Communication, Media, and the Arts at Sacred Heart University.